Hello and welcome to Yes Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations and about the theory, process and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, your host today and always, and your friendly local indie enthusiast. Before we get started today, I wanted to say hi to all the new people who subscribed last week after my interview with Paul Sager, and after I received the lofty accolade of Listen of the Week on at Chai by Post's amazing indie RPG newsletter. It means so much to me that people are tuning in and taking note of the things my guests say. Thank you all, and I hope you enjoy what we do here. This week, I'm talking to Francita, Hector and Brent of the Creators Catalyst Project, an accelerator, community-funded project where marginalised folks can get their games edited, illustrated and laid out by talented industry professionals who just want to get their games out there. This is a great chat with wonderful people, and I'm stoked to share it with you. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. So today, we're interviewing Francita, Hector and Brent of the Creators Catalyst Project. Hi there, welcome to the show. Hello. 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 So, would you like to take a minute to introduce yourselves and let us know what you do in the indie tabletop role-playing game space? Well, my name is Francida. I'm from Chile and I'm a graphic designer. Uh, right now, I'm working as an in-house graphic designer for Machine Age Games, a uh, production, sorry. Yeah, I do the monthly supplements for iHunt. And uh, sometimes I work as a freelancer for the tabletop role-playing game community, doing logos and character sheets and book layout. And my name is Hector. I'm a illustrator and concept artist. I work on video games and tabletop role-playing games. Specifically, uh, right now I'm in freelancing for various small companies and individuals doing illustration mostly. Uh, yeah, my name is Brent. Uh, I'm from Canada and I freelance uh, as a, uh, an editor primarily. Uh, I've worked on a number of tabletop role-playing game products over the last um, over 15 years. Um, some of the more recent ones uh, have been the Uncaged Anthology, uh, all four volumes of that, modules and adventures for drive through and, uh, and DMs Guild. Uh, I'm also one of the editors currently for On Spec Magazine, which is a, a science fiction and fantasy uh, magazine uh, published here in Canada. Awesome. So you're a relative injury veteran compared to uh, <laughs> a lot of the people I have on the show. Yeah, I guess so. I try not to get too much into how long I've actually been playing tabletop games because a lot of the times uh, gatekeepers tend to use that as a, a stepping <laughs> off point for their own but yeah, I've been playing since I was 10, so right now that's uh, 41 years. Gosh, you've seen pretty much all of the all of the cycles of discourse come around then. Yes, uh, <laughs> several times. <laughs> <laughs> the addition wars and so on, so yeah. So it's great to have you here, so um, thanks very much for coming on. Does one of you want to take the lead and tell me a little bit about the Creators Catalyst project itself? Yeah, sure. So the Creators Catalyst project is a crowdfunding accelerator for game creators, and that means that we are uh, basically we seek to uh, give small and marginalized role-playing game creators support professionally as uh, in the areas that we work on and get their games or supplements ready for uh, publication in a storefront. The crowdfunding part means that the community gets to basically help fund more games or bigger games by our platform. And the, well, the accelerator part is that we basically help them 
get their their games ready and give we we give them work hours uh, of editing art and design and each cycle we get an amount of games ready for a storefront which could be each could be drive through or your own website or whatever i mean that sounds like really valuable work um i think your first cycle was finished is that correct yes first cycle was uh, finished and we have the results up in our website uh, which is rpgcatalyst.com or creatorscatalystproject.com. There you can go to Game Showcase, and we have uh, the uh, a preview of the of the layout of the game and how it turned out. Basically, we wrote a blog post documenting some of the results. Fantastic! So you can go there and check out what we did. And yeah, it's pretty exciting. And Cycle Two is underway right now. That's fantastic. Do you want to tell us uh, a little bit about the first one that you had out, just so uh, people can look out for it? So the game that we had in our first cycle was called Black Swan. It's a survival... In my head, I keep saying survival horror, but it's not survival horror. It's just a survival game. Right. Uh, It takes place in an apocalypse of the player's creation. Yeah, basically it it focuses more on like giving you a set of rules for creating your own world for this post-apocalyptic game. So it's, it's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, who's the author of that game? Oh, the author is uh, Jack Deslip. On Twitter, he's Jack the DM. Okay, cool. Well, uh, everybody should check that out because that sounds really awesome. Yeah, we uh, we did the selection process. We all agreed we sort of liked this project, so this is the one we chose. I was happy that we, we got um, a fair amount of uh, additional support for this one, which I was glad for, because it meant that I could spend some time doing developmental editing on it. Initially, at our base, uh, most of my time would be taken up with copy editing and and proofreading and things like that. But with some additional time, I was able to put in uh, developmental editing time on it, which uh, helped me sort of flesh out some of the descriptive text that that was lacking, as well as figuring out how to streamline some of the mechanics uh, of the game. I mean, I think all of the labor that you're putting in there is really fantastic because, as we all know, like the indie scene is full of the one person bands. And that's really difficult to kind of get illustrations and professional looking graphics design and layout. And oftentimes text is unedited or partially edited when it goes live. And that can really hurt how professional a product looks and it can really set people back. Exactly. Yeah. Or the other way is that people just don't put their stuff out there because they don't think it looks professional enough. So like, honestly, yeah. labor is really, really valid and important. And uh, I'm so grateful this project exists. That was the primary motivation for the whole Catalyst project. From our experience, actually, it's really difficult to give your work the time and the, a finished timeline. Right. Yeah. Sometimes one likes to keep working on our own things, you know, and, and you don't usually say, okay, it's finished, I want to publish it. And what we offer is actually a little bit of pressure for you to call it quits somehow and say, okay, this is done, this is published, and you can get your stuff out, of, out in the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And actually, like, it's that same thing that you were talking about, Marx. Uh, that was the initial thing that led me to, to come up with this project. It started with a tweet, okay? A tweet in which I was offering people, basically, my design work uh, for free. I had a couple of slots, 
I wanted to give some creators the opportunity to have their games laid out by me and basically mostly people that uh, were wanting to publish their games during the pandemic and couldn't because of financial trouble yeah and so i tweeted that and basically at the same time brand messaged me and said okay i can offer you an amount of work in editing uh like like the one that you're offering and Hector, like mostly at the same time told me okay i can uh, offer art for it and i was like okay we have a team we have to do something with this <laughs> yeah i mean that sounds amazing yeah yeah that's how it was born yeah we we basically put it together like in one weekend the best projects yeah are thrown together at the drop of a hat <laughs> i tweeted on wednesday maybe and we thought about it on Thursday, and then we worked on it and launched it on Monday. That's really incredible, and what a turnaround as well. I mean, Brent, I think it's really interesting what you say about um, developmental editing. You see a lot of games that go out there that are, they have great ideas, they have great concepts um, behind them, but they're not necessarily, you know, fully fleshed out, or fully formed ideas that could even go to copy editing sometimes. Um, and I think the work of developmental editors is like <laughs> really, really sorely underrepresented, even in the even in the indie space. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that a lot of folks could benefit from developmental editing, and it's it's not something that they necessarily know is out there or available when people hear me talk about editing a lot of the time what they have in their head is is copy editing which is you know the usual sort of like checking for spelling checking for grammar making sure all of that sort of stuff fits and and works yeah if that i mean a lot of people think it's just proofreading which it definitely isn't i mean i think people undervalue the the labor that goes into editing definitely <laughs> yeah definitely early on when i when i first put out my uh, my shingle as a freelance editor uh, a lot of the initial responses i got were things like uh, well why would i hire you to edit when i have spell check right and, and <laughs> yeah. sometimes you know you just can't help people <laughs> they don't know the answer to that question then there's not a lot no. i can do to help them but uh, that's true but as far as developmental editing goes on black swan in particular you could tell reading it that it was very much a labor of love for jack right that has good and bad sides as someone who does a lot of sort of house ruling when i when i run games a lot more of my game exists in my head <laughs> than exists yeah. on paper anywhere yeah absolutely and so part of what I really feel with developmental editing for indie games in particular is helping the writer get the full game that they see in their head out onto paper. Yeah. And that's sort of what I, I worked with Jack with on this one is that I suggested a lot of stuff that I, I could see the direction he sort of wanted to go with a lot of things. I suggested and, and proposed a lot of stuff to him and, and Jack was enthusiastic and thrilled about the whole thing so uh, it was a really nice working relationship yeah absolutely maybe a lot of people don't necessarily see developmental editing as something that they even need because they think what they have is a good whole i think every game ever written would benefit from more developmental editing a lot of people don't realize that uh, playtesting is a form of developmental editing. Yeah, that's an interesting take. You know, if you're putting out your game and you can't afford to, to hire a developmental editor, 
please track down people to play your game with and and ask for their feedback. Yeah. Make sure they know you want more feedback than just, no, it looks great. That feedback is very affirming, but doesn't really help you when you're sitting in front of your computer trying to figure out how to change things up. Yeah. But yeah, playtesting can go a long way to, to taking the place of developmental editing. I think a huge part of the success of a game once it's already been sold is whether or not it has good editing. But a lot of the effort of getting it sold in the first place is down to the aesthetic side of things, if you know what I mean. Oh, definitely, yeah. The thumbnail of or the cover of the game is the first thing that you're going to see and that is going to either catch your attention or not. When you're scrolling through, I don't know, drive-through RPG or it or whatever like that is what is going to catch your attention or not and then after that you're going to go and see oh okay this game is about this yeah you've got effectively a couple of hundred kilobytes to get it right (laughs) it's basically (laughs) nothing Uh, it's a tiny image and if that looks good enough then people are going to be at least interested i think that's why the work of graphic designers and layout artists is also underrated in the indie space they don't necessarily see that labor and they think, oh, anyone can put a front cover together. But to actually make something that looks attractive and eye-catching, it really needs a lot of skill. So I have a lot of respect for layout designers, yeah, because it, it's, it looks like work that I could not do. Um, yeah, uh, and I have a bit of an issue with it because I feel like some people think that they can get the software and they are just magically going to be able to do layout or do graphic design or, or whatever like that. The important part of doing the design work is the actual design thinking and the eye for design and not just being able to do the thing in the software. It's the same at every kind of walk of life, I think, that you know exactly, people think yes. that they have the tools, that they will have the know-how to do it, but you know, most of the time people don't even know what question they're supposed to be asking. Yeah, exactly. Even if I had the, the software, I know that I would not be able to do this work because I don't have the the right aesthetic brain to think about these things. So yeah, I think it's really important that you get strong graphic elements in there as well. I mean, obviously the other thing that sells the game really well is high quality cover and internal art. Do you feel the same, Hector? You know, like, is there added value in having illustration in there? I mean, I think there is, yeah. The the important thing is that you actually have, like Francita says, like an eye for aesthetics that makes the images look good and communicate what you want to communicate. And that's actually more of an art direction labor. Right, yeah. And that's something that that we did a little bit with Jack's game with um, Black Swan uh, because the text of the game and the, and the actual game, it's really open-ended, you know, like... It gives you the tools to make your own post-apocalyptic survival setting. But we felt with Francida that we needed to communicate a tone for the game, you know? Yeah. And that reflected both on the graphic design and on the art. And I talked a little bit about this on, on our blog post. But there's this fine line we walk in illustration and especially on RPG illustration and image working, that you want to inspire the players, you want to inspire the people reading the thing, but you don't want to limit what they can imagine, you know? Like, if you have a a setting-heavy game, I don't know, like 
Legends of the Five Rings or, or the One Ring or Numenera, where a lot of the setting information comes visually. Right, yeah. It's a really different approach than a game like Black Swan, you know? Like, we want to give you a tone, we want to give you an overall theme, but we don't want to restrain what actually is your game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that's right. It was something I kind of talked about with Duam Figueroa Rasol about Deep Night Fathoms, which I'm bringing up now because I, it's on my desk in front of me. And that is a game that has woodcuts from the 18th century, 19th century maybe, as the illustrations throughout the book. But it brings out the aesthetics of the game so strongly that it's really quite yeah. amazing how, how that's been done. And like yeah. art direction as well. It's another part of TTRPG design, which is, again, underrated and definitely underrepresented in the indie space. Yeah, and I wish more people would have an art direction in mind when they make their games because most of the time, for especially for private clients, they have an idea of what the images should depict. Like, I need a monster and a warrior and, I don't know, the subject of the image. But the styling, the rendering, the technique actually communicates a lot. And I'm lucky that with Francita we communicate really well and we managed to work together on graphic design and on art to make the thing work holistically, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The most important decision that we made was that, for example, the art pieces were focused more on the ambience and the actual things in the setting and not characters in particular because we didn't want people to just look at the art of a character and say like okay this is the character that i have to make for this game right so there are illustrations of items yeah we wanted to avoid like you know these are the monsters of the game because the idea of the game is that the players make up the monsters and the settings and all the stuff exactly yeah and as far as graphic design i i wanted to do something like very simple but eye-catching we decided that the style was going to be a palette a color palette that was very restricted mainly black and white and one other accent color and initially we thought maybe red but black and white and red is like kind of seen a lot so we chose green and it's really eye-catching i think the final result is very very attractive i I really like the green you you use it's a really vibrant acid green thank you it's really interesting because uh one of the things i'm involved with my day job is adult learning part of that is understanding how people learn things and if you look at a role-playing game text the primary function of it is to teach people about how to play a game. And some of that is to do with aesthetic and some of that is to do with text. And people learn in different ways, right? So there there are people who learn primarily through looking at things, through visual aids. There are people who learn primarily through reading or through listening. And there are people who learn primarily through playing. Like kinesthetic learning is all about having something in front of you that's tactile. So like, I think with role-playing games, even if they are beautifully written, you're not necessarily going to convey the aesthetic of what you want to get across without good, high-quality art that is appropriate to the game that you're thinking of. Combining all these three aspects of high-quality development and copy editing, high-quality graphic design, and high-quality art direction, I think that's really, really important. And it's definitely going to make a game which is better in the end than a game that doesn't have that kind of uh, triumvirate of, of design going on behind it. So kudos to you, really. 
it's really great that you're putting your labor out there for other people and i think it's really healthy to see that the indie space is supporting this kind of project thank you so yeah your your funding is primarily sourced through the indie space so do you do you want to tell us a little bit about what the community means not only to your project but to you as individuals as well i want to um point out that we have an amount of base funding that is going to be available every month that is our working hours basically it's going to be there always it's 450 dollars in total and that is roughly to do a 10 page game with the appropriate amount of art and uh, the editing associated to it yeah that is always going to be there and we're going to continue to do that but the community can donate to uh, make this funding bigger and that will allow us to do either more games or bigger games like we did this time this time the game was um roughly 20 pages long yeah which is double so that is very exciting i've seen that people uh in the tabletop rpg community are very generous and uh, they are very eager to help each other to help other indie creators because they know what it's like to be an indie creator so basically I wanted to give the community this opportunity to donate. Well, the minimum amount, I think it's $5. If you donate even that amount, you are going to help us. Right, yeah. We we want to make this a project that we are all participating in. So when the games are made, uh, they have a little disclaimer at the beginning in the credits that says, This project was finished with the help of tabletop role-playing games community donations to creators scholars project right yeah i mean that's that's important that that gets mentioned there you know it's like the start of the book that has kickstarter backers in it it's really important to acknowledge that a game is as much a product of its community as it is an individual although obviously we all think that the individual is the most important person in this process but the community has a role to play too because with no community there is no zeitgeist there's no way that that game could have been thought of or conceived you know there are influences there which are very open and interesting to look into yeah and the primary thing we we want is to bring more people to create games you know yeah absolutely a lot of people who have their own ideas and and that's valuable on on any space to bring more voices to to the front you know and usually and this this is something i learned working on video games the key to publish your games is having contact knowing the right persons yeah and pulling some strings but we want to give the opportunity to people who maybe don't have those contacts or opportunities yeah people think uh, about opportunities like having money or living in the right place but it also comes knowing people and i think that's awful you know? yeah i mean it is and it isn't it makes everything a kind of a, a collective process in a way but it is really tough to kind of get your name out there if you don't yeah. have hundreds or thousands of followers exactly. on twitter exactly. or you know people who follow you on instagram it's like it's, it's really difficult to break yeah. into the indie scene sometimes yeah, yeah. And that is how we are different from like Kickstarter, for example. Like you don't have to have two thousand followers and to like be really well known in the space for people to back your your project. You just need to apply, and hopefully you'll get it, and you have a fair chance with us. Yeah, 
Absolutely. You can have like one follower on Twitter and that we, we are not going to see that. We don't care. We just care about you, that you have a game that you want to publish. Right. Absolutely. And it's kind of the same principle I take with having guests here. You know, I don't really care if you've got a huge following. I'm, I'm more just interested in talking to people about creating games. I think that's much more interesting and valid than, I don't know, selling hundreds of copies. <laughs> that's for sure. That's really interesting. And I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased and encouraged that there is, I suppose, like what I'm trying to say is that the kind of joke about the indie scene is that it's just loads of quite poor people handing ten dollars to each other in a circle forever but like i don't think that's what's happening here i think what's happening is that people are giving you money to make an investment in the community and to make an investment in other people and that's really encouraging to see what i'm also encouraged by is that you are specifically saying you are doing this for marginalized creators there is a lot that has been going on for a while and then things sort of came to a head in the last year yeah that have you know made it more important than ever that we try and support everyone in our community Uh specifically we need to be supporting more of the marginalized creators uh in our community because that has been an aspect of the the tabletop hobby that's been sort of like lacking for quite some time I'm a white male <laughs> in the, the tabletop hobby, and it's pretty much been geared towards me for my entire life. Like, I've never felt, I've never not seen myself in a game. I've never not right. yeah. been able to, like, get involved with something. And so the fact that, that there are people who have always been there, and I can say this with some authority since, you know, given my, my length of time in the hobby, there have always been marginalized people in tabletop games. Uh, there have always been black creators and, and players and dungeon masters. There have always been uh, people of color who create and, and write for games. Um, there have always been LGBTQ two spirit people who have who have done the same. Uh, it's just they've always been there, but they've always had to deal with a lack of representation, a lack of support, and yeah. inability to be able to really be themselves and to see themselves in the games that they write for. Yeah, I'm really excited with the like right now, like especially in the indie scene, to see that that we're we're trending more and more towards supporting those voices. And so I mean part of this project was obviously we'll we'll help whoever shows up, but we definitely want to help the marginalized creators who might not otherwise have the the opportunities that a lot of uh, yeah a lot of folks who look like me uh, are going to have in the hobby. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting that you say this is specifically something that indie does well, because like, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right, because where the mainstream fails marginalized fans and marginalized creators is in too late, too little, inadequate, inappropriate representation of people of color and LGBTQ groups. And a lot of the time it feels very fake, very superficial, maybe a little bit fetishizing. Mm-hmm. And like the indie scene does pretty much the opposite. Like black and people of color creators on on itch.io and drive through RPG are like creating their own fan bases, and that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. The interesting thing I find too is that you mentioned earlier about like you know having seen cycles through the hobby over the years. I'm getting a, a feeling now from the the indie game scene that is very similar to how I felt about new games coming out back in like the 80s. Right. People don't realize if you weren't there that a lot of the companies that put out product, you know, in the sort of early days of the hobby, some of that was 
seeing that you know TSR was able to put out stuff and so that oh we we can do this too yeah but a lot of it was also a reaction to wow this Dungeons and Dragons really isn't great maybe we should put out something better <laughs> yeah it's so interesting that you're saying yeah. that now everybody at the moment is well in India at least is saying do you know what actually Dungeons and Dragons isn't great and it's still like that 30 years 40 years later you know it's yeah it's a very damning indictment of what is pretty much the main representation of this hobby that most people who have played it for any significant amount of time think that actually it's pretty not great yeah mm. yeah once you enter the hobby like you go really deep into role-playing games you realize that not all role-playing games has to be like dungeon crawling killing monsters taking treasure kind of that di dynamic you know once people realize that the News and Dragons cannot do much more than that. One needs more diversity in games. And, and in, in every sense, you know, like different point of view, different games. This is something I really like to talk about. Like games are actually a, an art form. It's really important when people make games that they realize they inevitably are taking a stance. They're presenting a, a point of view, you know. If we can help with that, I'm more than happy to, to do it. I think that's interesting as well that you're talking about diversity of points of view because like it's it's easy for us to speak about some kinds of diversity, but another kind of diversity as well is diversity of opinion, both political and moral opinion. And I think there actually is, in some respects, in the mainstream, kind of a lack of diversity on in that respect. And in the indie scene, right. you know, you can always exactly. find somebody to argue with uh, on a philosophical <laughs> point. And that's very healthy, I think. Yeah, yeah, of course. There are many voices in the tabletop RPG community that are going to be talking from their context, from the variety of countries they are from. They're going to be talking about their experiences. And it's not going to be all about Dungeons and Dragons and colonialism and stuff. <laughs> it's going to be about other things that are maybe yeah. important to other people too. So it's important to have that diversity of speech in the community. Yeah, and um, by the end of the day, what I love, especially about Creators Currents Project, is that um, those points of view, those opinions, those positions can come out in game form. Yeah. Because that's our common thread, you know? That's something we all love. That's why we all belong to the community. That's the common ground and the starting point for any discussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That it's an art form that reflects people's life experiences. I feel like the indie scene is kind of healthy because it treats games as art rather than as a consumable. Yeah. It's very healthy to see that there are people out there who are supporting that. Yeah. Thank you very much for your work, everybody. It's very encouraging. <laughs> so, Francita, Hector, and Brent, would you tell us a little bit about where we can find you uh, on the internet? Okay. First of all, the Creator Skyles Project, uh, we have a website. It's rpgcatalyst.com or creatorscatalystproject.com. And uh, we have all the information that you can possibly need about the project there. <laughs> including the timeline for this cycle and next cycle. Yeah. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at ByFrancita. And that's where I'm mostly at. I post my graphic design work there. 
I think I will start streaming soon, so that will be exciting. And I hunt stuff. If you're interested in I hunt, I post some I hunt stuff and selfies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Hackleaf on every platform you could possibly think of. I'm not really active on the internet as for right now. Work work is really overwhelming me. <laughs> but yeah, tw- Twitter, uh, ArtStation, Instagrams, mostly where I'm at. Everywhere is Hackleaf. Right. But yeah, ArtStation, Twitter, Instagram, at Hackleaf. Everywhere. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter as Dorklord Canada. That is my sort of how I'm becoming known uh, across a lot of different platforms. Uh, I also have a website where I blog about uh, tabletop games and offer my editing services uh, called renaissancegamer.ca. One thing I did want to mention really quickly is that uh, Francita touched on uh, the community support for Creators Catalyst Project. Machine Age Productions was kind enough to put together one of their supplements uh, that's the that specifically goes to us. Uh, it's uh, Zine Number Eleven, the Book of Hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can track that down on Itchio. And all proceeds from that one go to the Creators Catalyst project. Fantastic. I just wanted to shout that out because that was hugely generous of them to do that for us. It certainly was. Yeah. Big shout out. Thank you, Machine Age. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to, if we want to support the project and also get like a really good supplement for iHunt, then get the book of hours. Yeah. Okay. And then the only other place you can find me too, uh, I am also on uh, Itch now. I started my imprint up a little while ago, uh, Prairie Dragon Press. Oh, cool. I just released a little primer editing TT RPGs for non-editors. Ooh. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I like the sound of that, even as an editor. <laughs> go out there and get that. Okay, cool. Well, all that remains is for me to say, thank you very much to all three of you for coming on Yes Indeed Pod. I guess the next time any of you have got something cool to shout out about, then yeah, let's have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much. Okay, well, thank you again, and goodbye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening, and thanks again to Francita, Hector, and Brent for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Next week, I'll be talking to Sahoni about Exceptionals, a narrative-focused tabletop RPG inspired by X-Men, and which is about, and for, communities marginalised people make for themselves. Tune in next time to find out more. This week, my new friend John Harness asked me to promote Knucklebone Magazine, which is a new digital publication featuring tabletop role-playing game reviews and commentary. Writers and designers from across the role-playing game landscape discuss new games, spotlight lesser-known and forgotten game design trends, and give you an insight into the wider world of role-playing games. Check out Knucklebone magazine right now at knucklebonemag.itch.io. And if you, yes you, are interested in writing for Knucklebone and getting paid for it, then pitch an essay idea to knucklebonemag at gmail.com or visit the magazine's itch.io page for more details. Once again, that's knucklebonemag.itch.io. If you enjoy Yes Indeed Pod, please rate and review the show wherever you find your podcasts, or consider donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at yesindeedpod. That's Y-E-S-I-N-D-I-E-D-P-O-D. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is from BitQuest by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and filmmusic.io. Thanks, Kevin. Until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed.